Every story needs a hero, and every story needs a villain. Oh, we'll see how this goes. So I literally just got my second vaccination shot like an hour ago or two hours ago. I'm not feeling sick or anything, but I am feeling a little bit loopy. And I decided, well, why not just record the start of the podcast for this new episode? Because I have to. (laughs) So, yeah. What better way to communicate than as a vaccination is flowing through your blood, trying to integrate with your body. But we're all about integration here on Hero and the Villain. And speaking of communication... You would think somebody in my position doing a podcast, you'd think that I would have no problem communicating. And I have a history of being on a microphone for a really long time. I have my areas of improvement on this subject. And though I've always felt comfortable in front of people or on a stage or on a microphone, sharing how I feel to friends, families, lovers is something that I too have had to work on. And I know that feeling like you have a safe space to feel vulnerable enough to be able to articulate your wants and needs is something that we as people, we all yearn to have, especially when it comes to relationships. With trauma from someone's past, it can affect how they communicate. The last episode, the trauma episode, we told you the stories of Red and Lee and Darren. And those really touched upon how your past can affect how you communicate in the present. And children with neglect or abuse issues can possibly end up with language issues or processing deficiencies when it comes to understanding sarcasm or not being able to uh, communicate emotional needs based on the trauma type. Things that happened to you as a child, I think a lot of my adult friends that recognize their past will tell you that the impact that the situations you go through as a kid last forever. They carry on into adulthood A lot of 20-year-olds might not be able to identify that or understand that. You get to your 30s and 40s, you start kind of uncovering those layers a bit more. So take someone with these issues, unable to express themselves, and put them into a romantic situation. More often than not, it can cause a breakdown between one or both the parties. Just think about the fact that you won't be able to communicate normal everyday stuff to coworkers, friends, people at Starbucks, whatever. I mean, there's some people out there that just really have big problems with communication in general. Trying to communicate your wants and needs or communicate feelings in a relationship or to a lover could be one of the most daunting tasks possible. Becoming comfortable to express anything on this subject for even people that have dealt with past traumas It can be an issue with just how taboo the topic of sex is. 
And you know how bad communication leads to frustration, lack of understanding, anxiety, etc. All of which can be death nails in a relationship. If those needs and wants aren't put at the forefront right away, which we've discussed, most certainly asking a partner to you know, do something like, I don't know, spank you in bed or do something in the realm of kink would be really difficult to be able to express that stuff. Now, you could trace back to somebody's childhood on why they have a problem communication. You could trace back to somebody's childhood the roots of why they might have poor adult communication when it comes to love and sex. And there could be a couple of reasons for it. Trauma, obviously, is a big one. Things that happened to you as a child. But I like to think that the other big reason is because the sex education system in America, possibly Canada, other countries, but we'll we'll just keep on North America for right now, sucks. It sucks. Uh, Kids are, you know, taught what a penis and vagina are, but they're not taught that it's okay to ask questions about this stuff. They're not taught really anything in regards to their own bodies until they're way later. And so they're kind of left to giggle and make fun of it and feel embarrassed about anything related towards, you know, themselves. And a lot of sex educators feel the same way. So it happens we happen to have one of those as our guest today. And we're going to bring her on in so we can talk about communication and education because they definitely go hand in hand. For our conversation about communication involving sex and relationships, she is a certified sex and relationship educator and coach and blogger for her website, strictlysex.ca. She's up in beautiful British Columbia. Say hello to the one and only Coach V. Hello, Coach V. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? So good. Excited to be here. Awesome. Well, thanks for being our guest on this uh, on this podcast of mine. And this specific subject, you and I have been chatting a little bit about the last few days. Uh, and just seeing your posts that you've made on your website and your Instagram accounts as well, uh, just involving good communication, how vital it is in a relationship. And this episode basically wanted to touch upon the whole idea of like, okay, like let's say you're comfortable with parts of your own shadow self, but you have a partner. Sometimes people kind of struggle to communicate those things to their partner when it comes into relationships. So we're just going to go right for the, uh, the first one here. Like what do you in your experience consider healthy communication when meeting either a new sex partner or starting a new relationship? Well, first and foremost, I'd say honesty about your intentions and your expectations. I feel like that's one that people kind of dance around, they beat around the bush and they don't really say, Hey, like I'm on Tinder just to have sex or just to have hookups, or I actually want a relationship. I feel like there's a lot of resistance for people to just be vulnerable and be honest about their intentions. And it, ends up causing issues further down the road when one person starts to feel feelings or, you know, like if it's never talked about, then 
people don't know where to go with it. Right. Right. And if like you post something about, like you said on Tinder, like, oh, I'm not looking for anything serious. Two dates in, you're like, oh, I want something serious. The other person's kind of hit with something out of left field. Yeah. 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 And in and, and dealing with that, like with like a new sex partner uh, or when, let's say, the dates turn to sex eventually, because that's the natural progression of it, uh, being able to express those. OK, well, this is what I'm into. What are you into? That's hard for a lot of people to be able to bring that up until you're actually in bed with somebody. You, would you agree that like beforehand, that's the good stuff to be able to talk about, to get it out and to kind of clear the air? Yeah. And like, that's like the biggest mistake that people, I don't even know if people will bring it up because when they're in the moment and in bed, they'll probably just go along with it and then they'll start doing it. And three months later, they have to explain to the person, Hey, I actually don't like that thing that you thought I like that you've been doing for the last three months, but let's get it out of the way now. So that brings me to my second point of talking and discussing your likes and dislikes it, you, it should be as easy as saying, Hey, like I like Greek food. How do you feel about Greek food? Oh, you don't like it. That's okay. Like we can try Italian. It's pretty close. Maybe you'll like it. And then that also like talking about safer sex methods, disclosing anything that the person needs to be aware of anything like that. I feel like it's kind of left off the table, whether people are embarrassed, people don't get tested, whether it's like a weird touchy topic for someone to say to their new partner, Hey, like, how do I bring this up without offending you? Right. Right. And then without bringing that stuff up, you put somebody at risk. Um, uh, if they, let's say we're talking about STIs, they have something, you don't tell the partner that can lead to a lot of issues as well. It's, uh, and that, and like you said, if they are feeling embarrassed about, you know, uh, whatever it is all tied to shame more or less, like their shame that they have something or their shame that they want something or they need something or have desires in your own experience. Uh, have you ran into that with, uh, either talking with people that you've coached in the past or even in your own personal life, people being able to, this is what I like. And, and, and then they go, um, okay, but they don't have anything. They don't know how to say it themselves. Yeah. I've had a lot of times where I'll start to talk about myself and, you know, my interests. And the other flip side of that is getting your point across and being honest with someone without them getting the wrong idea. Them thinking, oh, you're just here for that. It's like, no, I, it's just like talking about basketball. Maybe you love basketball and it's a hobby and a passion and you just like to talk about it. It doesn't mean that you need to go and play basketball with me. So in the past, you worked with people uh, whose communication issues were result of any trauma they had or they hadn't actually dealt with when you touched on that subject? I think a lot of the communication issues that I see coming from people are just from being brought up in a sex negative society. Um, a lot of the times it's hard for people to work on trauma or issues when they're not even aware that that's what that is. So if people are having issues explaining one thing or maybe they're having a tough time opening up, it could just be because they've been shamed for so many years and it just seems like a topic that they're not allowed to open up about or be honest about. Kind of elaborate on, on how you view a sex negative society, like what, uh, what that entails for people listening that maybe don't fully understand. Cause you and I get that, but bringing up such sex education to people like, Oh, it's, it's taught in schools. And now I'm rolling my eyes when I say that because we know that it's really not. So go ahead and kind of elaborate on a sex negative society. It can honestly range from anything. It can range from 
a child um, exploring their body when they're young and having a parent walk in and being freaked out saying, hey, what are you doing? Like, don't touch your, don't touch your penis, like, or don't touch your vagina or whatever it is. Like kids don't understand. They just see black and white. So you grow up in this sex negative society. You might have a parent that, you know, walks in on you feeling pleasure. And then all of a sudden you associate, oh no, when I feel pleasure or when I um, play with my body, that's bad. So you grow up having this feeling and these thoughts that I'm bad because I'm doing stuff with my genitals. Or maybe maybe you don't ever feel that shame, but then you know, you're a teenage girl and you're going through high school and you get slut shamed. There's so many different aspects. Religion is another one that I can't even touch on because it's just such a huge thing. Yeah. And it, it's a, a lot of that stuff that I've talked about previous episodes, uh, discussing like children of the shadow when they're shunned early on in life, like this is wrong. This is wrong. Don't do this. Don't do that. That all kind of ties in and, and becomes something that kind of feeds their shadow self that they're unaware of. It follows them all throughout life to where, you know, to high school, to college, they don't know, you know, why they think things are bad or good. Uh, and it can even lead to how men and women kind of relate to each other later on in life. Absolutely. So on that note, this is a good question we talked about a couple minutes ago, the, the stigma that the stigma, you know, or kind of a preconceived notion that men uh, don't express their feelings. But with people out there like John Kim and other life coaches that are really pushing the narrative for men to be able to kind of open up those layers about themselves. I've seen that women have, because of maybe past issues with men that haven't been able to express their feelings, women are kind of lacking in the effort to get to know those layers of men. So social media, we're both on it, but we know it's such a giant force and how it influences people. Do you feel that there's a disconnect in communication because of modern life and uh, social media, or there's more to it than that? I would say it's like a blend of a few things. On one end of the spectrum, social media can be like a safe haven. Like you can find your John Kim and you can find, you know, these different podcasts where you feel motivated and comfortable working on yourself and actually diving into your feelings and emotions. Because as men, I feel like a lot of the times with the toxic masculinity, it's either men are angry or they're happy and that's that. And they don't feel comfortable to express any other emotions than either rage or joy. So I think social media could be a, a piece of it. It could be good. It could be bad. But I think another part of it too, is just when you mention women are having a hard time getting to know men, I wonder if it's going back to our first question, if it's because people aren't being honest about their intentions. It very well could be where well could be if they're not able to communicate, you know, from the get go or learn to communicate from years of not being allowed to communicate, you know, it could just carry over into that. And it's like, we have children not taught to communicate and they grow up and then they still don't know really how to, how to express any of that. And then you put like an awkward guy next to an awkward girl that don't really know how to express themselves. <laughs> and just one thing leads to the next. And you have just like a whole lot of like disconnect and bad communication as, as some, somebody that's a sex educator, what are some ways to be able to, I mean, do we rebuild the whole sex education system from top to bottom? Is, is that where it really starts? You think? I think it would honestly just be getting more information out there and having people become more comfortable with it instead of it being such a taboo topic. 
and communication too, like not even just sex, but communication. Like, first of all, we're never taught, Hey, this is how you have a productive conversation. And this is how you be non-judgmental and this, that like, we don't learn any of that. And then you throw in a naked human standing in front of you and it's like, well, shit, now I have all that pressure and another human doing sexual things that just adds a whole other layer to it. Right. It, it's interesting that you bring that up. The first thought I had in my head is thinking back to when I was a kid, five or six, being in school and, you know, somebody would have like get their pants pulled down and all the kids would like giggle, you know, but then you think you see uh, National Geographic with like tribes in other countries, whole villages running around without clothes and they don't care. They don't give a fuck. They're just taught that it's not a big deal at all here. Social media, you can go on Instagram and see, oh, I don't know, fitness post after fitness post of people not wearing any clothes, basically using sex to sell fitness. That's not a big deal. But when it comes to sex, then that's taboo. It's like kind of almost a double standard, it seems nowadays. Oh, yeah. Don't even get me started on male nipples. (laughs) They're evil. We can't show those on TV or in public. We can go topless here. Ladies can go topless. <laughs> I don't think anyone does, but there's the option. But no, as somebody that's uh, active on social media, do you see that the that whole double standard? I mean, you said you don't even get you started on that, but hey, we're on a podcast, so let's let's get you started on that a little bit. <laughs> like the, there is a double standard out there, and I think that feeds into the mixed signals to people about what is okay and what's not okay. Yeah, the main thing that I can think of when you say that is like take a Tinder profile where a guy is standing on top of a mountain with his pants down because it's funny. But if a girl or a woman did that, it would be terrible and she'd be a slut and a whore and all these other things. It's like, why can't it just be funny? There's also like the ridiculousness of what is acceptable on social media and then what you can get banned for. Cause I know a lot of platforms have updated their uh, terms and conditions lately about that. Like I've seen people that, are not even really posting anything overly sexual, getting banned or getting suspended for it. And that to me just kind of shows just more of that taboo of people not understanding it. And maybe it has to do with a lot with the culture that we, that we have, you know, we look at TV, look at movies, what's PG 13, what's R, what's considered porn and not porn. And those, those people that are making those rules didn't have sex education growing up to know what was kind of right and what's wrong. Yeah. And the hard thing about that too, is like on social media, it's okay for accounts with hundreds of thousands of followers to post my photo of me half naked. But if I post that photo, I get it taken down and it's almost like, Oh, the cool kids can do it and it's okay, but you can't because you're a smaller account and you don't have as many followers. It's like, I don't get it. So if you were in charge, here's the, here's the one to throw you on the spot. If you were in charge of, let's say, Mr. Trudeau called you up tomorrow and be like, I want you to redo the sex education for all of Canada. How would, how would you go about that? Like, let's say if you were, uh, you know, put in front of a, you know, grade school, a bunch of kids to be able to kind of teach in an informative way, like what would, what would be some of the ways that you would touch upon this to connect with kids? Because it all starts with, you know, good education for children. So they don't feel shame for this stuff. They don't feel embarrassed for this stuff. Yeah. I think just with kids, it's like just an honest approach. Like kids don't sexualize things and kids don't know, like, like I said earlier, they see black and white. So I think just a really 
honest and depending on the age too, right? What I talk about with someone that's 17 isn't going to be the same as with someone that's seven. So basing it off their age, but also making it like pleasure-based. People always see sex and they think reproduction. They think we have sex just to reproduce. And I know for myself, that's not even close to the truth because I'm a woman who doesn't want children. So I think just being honest with them and talking about pleasure and really focusing on respect and communication that goes along with that as well as health and safety and not using scare tactics to tell them, hey, like you shouldn't have sex because you'll probably get an infection. It's like if a kid gets a cold and you say, ew, that's disgusting and gross and you shouldn't be going around and getting a cold. It's like, okay, is that going to ever stop them from growing up and getting a cold when they're an adult? Right. No. So why tell them that about STIs? Right. And regarding communication with sex partners, we discuss shame on the show uh, ad nauseum. It's one of the biggest topics when it comes to shadow work. Couples, you know, let's jump from the sex education back to couples here, uh, us grownups. How can they work past their shame with each other? I know it's it's one thing to say that, you know, they can talk about it, but really like the layers of talking with somebody who's unsure of themselves or like, oh God, this person seems way more experienced than me or they're into like more wild stuff compared to me. How can couples work together so they can be more responsive and attentive to each other? I think the first part of that is just actively deciding, hey, this is something I want to do and I want to get better at and I want to feel more comfortable with. So you're going to want to decide that that's what you want to do and maybe come up with a goal. Say, I want to just feel comfortable naked or feel comfortable in my own skin. So, okay, great. You have a goal. You're going to want to approach your partner and get them on the same page because you're going to need their support and you're going to want them to know, hey, like this is what's going on for me. And do you have anything that you want to work on? Or like, how are you feeling in that relationship? So just talking to each other. And if you need to even seeking help, like outside of the relationship, if you don't know how to deal with shame and you decide, Hey, like, I want to get better at this. You're not going to magically just know how to, and there's no shame in seeing someone like me, that's a sex coach or even a sex therapist, depending on where you're at in your journey and what kinds of things are coming up with you. So I would say number one, decide you want to do it. Number two, think of some goals. And number three, seek outside help if you need it. Yeah, I think uh, in with men and women, because of what their number one reasons for shame are, you know, you look with women, uh, there's that immense pressure to be perfect. You know, with men, it's like never fail, you know, and we're talking like women as far as body image and whatnot, you have to look perfect. You have to be on all the time. That's kind of like the society standard and women have expressed like in Brene Brown's book, she talks about the number one shame that women and men feel men as far as being a failure. And a lot of that can be the pressure to be the best ever in bed. And if they're not, they feel like they're a failure when it comes to that, those sorts of things. Uh, in your own personal experience, and talking with people, do you find that those are two of the biggest reasons that, that people kind of have pressure or they feel shame because they like don't measure up? Well, it depends. Like, what are you trying to measure up to? I feel like a lot of people see porn or they see the media or they see a movie where both partners climax at the same time. And it's like, these are not accurate representations of everyday sex. Like, it just isn't. It's like, it's like trying to learn how to drive a car from watching NASCAR. Like that is so out of your league and that's just not, it's just not realistic. So I think it's just a lot of people 
not getting that education and then seeing porn or seeing movies and thinking, oh, so that's what I'm supposed to be doing when it's really like the farthest thing. And that and that's I, I think uh, people having such a an attachment and this comes it all comes back to education, but such an attachment to the the act of sex, you know, and, and having to, the shame comes from not enjoying all the other stuff and realizing the other stuff, the, all the other forms of intimacy, what's considered foreplay, it all matters. And it doesn't mean that you have to just like be perfect at that one thing. You know, all the other things are what you're going to connect with your partner in, in a relationship and in bed with, like, if you just worry about that one thing, like the, all right, well, the penetration part has to be awesome, you know, but like, what about all the other stuff that's like good and fun and connects you with your partner? And that stuff seems to be like overlooked is like super important. Yeah. And oftentimes a lot of people I talk to, they are like feeling pressure about reaching orgasm or having orgasms. And when you put that kind of pressure on someone that doesn't help them relax and enjoy the situation, they're just solely focused on, okay, well, I have to have this orgasm and then it just doesn't end up happening because that's all they're focused on. They're not focused on the pleasure and feeling all the feels and all the great things that come along with it. They're just focused on, okay, my goal is orgasm and uh, that's it. That's what we're going to do. Uh, anything else that you'd like to add on this subject? That you think the listeners uh, involving uh, relationship, shame, talking with uh, partners properly, getting that stuff out, you know, the floor is yours for a minute or two here. So go ahead and, and drop some knowledge on the, on the faithful 14, as I call them. You're putting me on the spot now. I would just, it's very important to get tested regularly. There's no shame in, you know, asking your doctor for, you know, an STI test. And also just so everyone is aware, because I was not, and this is what actually propelled me to become a sex educator. They do not test for herpes on a standard STI panel. So just because you walk around thinking, okay, uh, my results came back all negative. That does not mean that you could potentially not have an STI such as herpes. So you got to ask for STI test and one that does for the ones that are not a part of that, basically. Yeah. Know what you're getting tested for. Advocate for yourself, ask questions. Um, I actually did ask for a herpes test when I found out a previous partner had herpes and got an outbreak and they actually denied me getting tested saying that they would only test me if I had any symptoms, which I didn't. So I just think that's an important thing for everyone to know is get tested know what you're getting tested for and advocate for yourself. <laughs> 